0: Megan. So, how would you like to help me make a flower decoration with nothing more than some colored paper and a rubber band? Welcome to this special three-minute retrospective podcast review of the James Wan-produced killer doll film, Megan. This is the part where you run. Listen in as Garrett, I have a new primary user now, me. Matt, You've got to accentuate the positive. And Adam, You don't want to play, huh? Review the biggest surprise hit of 2023 so far. What's going on? Where's Stewie? He's 34 feet southwest and approximately 5 feet deep. What are you? I've been asking myself that same question. Just How Afraid Of Dolls is one? If she comes in this room, I'll rip your head right off your neck, I
1: swear to God.
0: What drove the boys to review this film that doesn't belong in any one franchise? You know what happens to bad boys that don't mind their manners? They grow up to bad men. And what can we expect? In the inevitable sequel. Please stop. Go back. Find out the answers to these questions and more coming up, courtesy of percolated media. On three, two, one.
2: Megan released. January 6, 2023, budget on this was $12 million, box office $176.6 million, and this is directed by Gerard Johnston. Okay. Goudreau, for those who did not tune in to our highly entertaining, especially if you like to hear Adam Bunch Mad, set of Salem's Lot shows, the very end of the last show, we answered the question, why are we doing a one-off of Megan? I'm going to throw it to you, sir. Why are we doing Megan? Well, the short
1: answer is because the remake of Salem's Lot, the second remake, or the first theatrical remake, how about that, has yet to be released, and we needed a slot to fill. And to be honest, based on the Megan advertising... I was kind of hoping we could find a way to do this movie regardless as a Patreon review. I mean, look, we did the black phone, so we've sort of broken down the idea of exclusively doing retrospectives. We've shown that we can do some modern, quote-unquote, stuff. So this came up, and all of us were on board. Nobody fought it. And here we are, four months after the movie
2: came out. (laughs) <laughs> Four months after the movie came out, but again, I want to say, like I said on that Salem Lot show, that there is a connection, and that is the common name associated with both these properties, and that is, one, James Wan, and yes, I say property with this, because they have announced there will be a sequel. We'll talk about that at the end. Adam Bunch, if you were not doing this podcast, would you have ever watched this movie? Did you have any interest in this whatsoever?
3: I did when I was seeing the marketing go on, and what they'd done with it. I was like, man, that looks fun and goopy, and then once it came and it was available on streaming. I was like, okay, I'll get to it. And then when y'all decided, all right, we're doing this, I was like, okay, I'm going to go ahead and I'll just get, get to it now. So it would have been an eventual thing, but I was in no rush to get to it after the second weekend in theaters. Once I missed that initial rush, I was like, eh, I'll get to it sooner or later.
2: I cannot believe the amount of money this movie has made. It's made over $170 million. It has a 93% on Rotten Tomatoes. I mean, this is just one of those movies. It's released in January. It's not supposed to do this kind of thing. But my God, James Wan just seems to defy the odds. He does. Although the box office does not surprise me because even though we're coming out of COVID,
1: the one thing that has done well has been horror. It always does well because, A, they're predominantly cheaper productions, and, B, it's the genre that works best in a theatrical context. Even though this, look, this movie, we'll talk about it, it's not an outright horror movie. It sells itself as a horror comedy, so I don't think you can preach false advertising if you're someone who wanted a 100-minute balls-to-the-wall horror movie. You went in there about as ignorant as the people who made this doll to begin with. So I'm not surprised by the box office take because of that reason. second reason is that trailer that they put together <laughs> to advertise this movie got everybody talking. There's that one bit in the trailer that everybody talked about that... I think, sold everybody on going to see it. But also this idea of artificial intelligence and horror, those two kind of go together, especially in a very digital age and in a post-pandemic place where we were very technologically reliant. You worked remotely and you were looking for companionship. It was all through Zoom. That's how we could all talk to each other. So I thought this was very good timing. But, god damn, that trailer, So soon as I saw that, I think I was the first one of the three of us. And I didn't know what this was. I knew James Wan was producing it. But when I hear that, that's like when I hear Sam Raimi's producing a horror movie. It's like, yeah, they just slapped his name on it to get some degree of credibility. And I saw the trailer, I'm like, I don't know if this movie's going to be good or if it's going to be crap. Regardless, we have to find a way to talk about it. And I said it to Garrett, and he's like, I 100% agree. And then Adam said, all right, if you guys are doing it, I guess I'll stick along, because I don't have a choice.
2: Here's the train of events that happened that convinced me to do it, all right? So one weekend, I think it was like maybe a week or so after I was out, my future in-laws got me a $100 gift certificate to Cinemark Theaters. I have Wednesdays and Thursdays off, meaning I have Tuesday nights off. I work graveyards, which means I start midnight. So I had been all caught up on my editing. I wanted to kind of get out of the house. And Jen showed zero interest in this we always have date nights and we looked at this and i said i kind of want to see that and she's like no (laughs) so she was at work i was home and i'm like you know what it's in theaters i want to get myself up and i want to go to the theater i went by myself and i saw this by myself i came out of the theater and i sent a text to both these gentlemen and i said we got to find a way to discuss this or something to the effect of i have a lot to say about this movie i hope we can do it one day So cut to maybe a week and a half later, Mr. Goudreau goes to the theater. He sees it. I'm anticipating the text that he's going to send. The exact text he sends is, so dot, 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 we really need to talk about this movie. (laughs) And again, the way this movie has made money, the way this movie took on a life of its own in a month that is not supposed to be successful. Also, James Wan and dolls. This goes way back. Dead silence. Hell, Saw is built around a doll. Annabelle. He has made a career out of making killer doll movies. Well, Annabelle, not so much. Maybe we'll get to that one day.
1: I don't know necessarily for the general public because I think Saw in particular is a franchise that people don't think of the people who make it. They just think of the product. And Dead Silence bombed. But I think for people who are in the know, so to speak, that idea, that through line, It's amazing that James Wan didn't put Killer Dolls in Fast and Furious when he did that. I I, kind of wish he did, because that series has gone so far into absurdity that it would not have been out of the realm of possibility in that context. So I could see that, but also... It's not like he directed this. His company produced it, and I had not heard of this director whatsoever. And I honestly didn't know this movie was a thing until that trailer dropped. And it's not like it was publicized. It's just the trailer dropped, and people on Twitter were sharing the hell out of it. And I watched it, and I saw that dance part, and I'm like, okay, I'm there in the theater. (laughs) January be damned. Because we've had some good movies come out in January. Like, the dog days of January being the dumping ground, I think we're largely past that. We've had enough outliers for it to be no longer a 100% pattern.
2: Speaking of this director, I have seen one other work by this director. It was a movie called Housebound that was from 2014. Very interesting, very darkly funny film from New Zealand. And I believe that's what Juan saw in order to get him on this, because he really doesn't have much else to his resume. So question, before we get into the plot of this, Adam, you first, sir. Which version did you watch?
3: I watched the unrated version at home on Peacock, because if I was going to sit to do it, I wasn't going to do it twice. So I was like, if I'm going to watch it, let me go and watch the unrated version. Knowing that you all had seen it in theaters, I didn't know if you were going to watch it. Again, at home, so I figured
1: at least one of us should go that route. Goudreau? I saw it in the theater, and that's it. I have not seen the unrated cut.
2: You have not seen the unrated cut. Okay, so we're both going to be relying on Adam then, because I also did not watch the unrated cut for this. I actually watched the theatrical as well. I took notes on that one, and I was kind of thinking that one or both of you guys would watch that unrated cut. All right. Are you boys ready? uh, uh. <laughs> What a plot we have here. (laughs) So we start off with a commercial for the product called Perpetual Pets. And let me tell you, I started watching this for this podcast in the morning when Jen was getting ready for work. This commercial completely threw her off. (laughs) She was like, what the fuck are you watching? She's not the only one. (laughs) (laughs) But I love when movies start off like this. It puts you on edge in the beginning here. Like, you don't know what the hell to expect.
1: I I have to be honest. A lot of this movie... And my perception of it was informed by... So much of it reminded me of the Child's Play remake that we saw. Mm. Right down to this opening where they're advertising a product. Yeah, It's very similar, but I love how this took me back... This movie felt very 90s in a lot of ways. Specifically, these are basically Furbies. Yes. Which were mm. yeah, a huge trend when, when I was growing up. Of uh, These little robotic toys... I swear to God, I thought they were sentient beings because they would open their eyes and they could talk a little bit, but everybody had one, myself included. Yeah, I know. Big shock, everybody. Go fuck yourselves. But (laughs) it took me back to that toy that everybody was obsessed with, which nowadays we don't really have that. The toy market has shifted almost entirely to things
2: like video games and other forms of children's entertainment, so... I don't know about you, sir. You coming in cold? What What are you thinking when you see this thing start this movie off?
3: Child's play is exactly what I thought of. I thought it was a Kind of a good way to start it off, a little innovative that way. It's almost a joke, and I mean, it is a joke. I mean, the Family Guy spooks it over just how many production company intros you get before a movie. Or to start it with something that just seems like it's going to be a freaking commercial while I'm waiting for Nicole Kidman to thank me for coming to a movie theater, it's just like, okay, you know what, that's fun. It's a little lighthearted. I'm, I'm, I'm good with it. For a movie that was supposed to, I believe this was just supposed to be streaming until it caught fire and then they were like, let's throw it in the theater, I thought it was an innovative way to at least say,
1: hey, we're going to have fun and do something different.
2: I'm glad you mentioned the logos, because one of my notes here is all the effing logos.
1: I'm glad I was in the theater by myself, because I threw my hands up like Larry David and Curb Your Enthusiasm. I was like,
2: really, we're still doing this? Yeah.
1: Speaking of family Guy, this grinds my gears to no end.
2: We cut to a family driving on a snowy mountain, the couple in a car on their way to a ski trip. And they're a little rickety as the perpetual pet says, away we go. And as they keep going forward, they hit a snow truck. Pretty crazy beginning here. This is startling.
3: Did, did, didn't expect this whatsoever. I had seen the trailer, I don't know once or twice, and then whatever TV spots they showed. So I knew that there was a girl going to live with what I presumed was an aunt or older sister. But I didn't think that I would see, for like the third time in the last five years, a movie opening with a car crash killing the parents. Yeah. You know, I saw this in the first Shazam. I saw this in was it Dark Phoenix? It was something else yep. too. And I'm, and I'm like, oh my god, I am tired of seeing fucking <laughs> car crash the orphaned
1: child. Yeah, th- this was not what I was expecting because it's amazing how this trailer both shows you everything. It shows you nothing as far as mm-hmm. the, co- the context. I think it's one of the best trailers we've had as far as getting people into a theater, but also, like I said, it shows you all the big scenes, but it doesn't tell you, okay, how did she wind up living with her? Because I thought this was them just driving to drop her off or mm-hmm. it was some other family. For them to just openly be killed in a car accident, was kind of shocking because nobody dies in the car accident for Shazam somehow. Dark Phoenix, the parents die because it's in the comic. Dark Phoenix is exactly what I thought of, and I'm the only person who has said that since 2019. (laughs) 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 Because you got a dark-haired girl in the back who's borderline got red hair, and her parents are killed. I thought the twist was going to be that the toy caused the car accident.
2: Yeah, I thought that too.
1: And I kind of wish that happened because it would have been all the more insane. I thought it was going to be that these perpetual pets... This was setting up that they'd be recalled because lawsuits were going to be filed and those mm-hmm. kinds of things.
2: We cut to a toy factory, as there is an amazing car set that I would have killed to have had as a kid. And we see the sister of the woman from the beginning struggling to find her way within the company. But she has an android hanging by wires. She puts skin on it, gives tests that make confused look demented. And they are then visited by their boss, David, who's upset that Gemma is not working on the new Pets model but a new human model. So how do we feel about this introduction to the aunt who is going to be taking the kid in? They're trying their best to make her seem sympathetic, aren't they?
3: It's weird because we don't get a lot of her life other than Mm. just clearly she's a workaholic without a girlfriend or boyfriend or husband or wife. None of that. She's just connected to her work. She's got very few, if any, friends. It's amazing how much we don't get of her other than she's smart enough and a genius enough to work for this company but not strong enough to stand up to the archetypical dude bros we're going to get running this company for the next hour and a half (laughs) but genius enough to build this Android. It's
1: weird. So I disagree. I think the movie actually kind of makes her the villain in a lot of ways, not just because she creates the monster, but I feel like the movie doesn't do a good job of being on her side. That's one of my problems is that it treats her desire to move up in the company and be selfish, but in a way that it's not harming anybody, to pivoting to, oh, she's a bad person because she really doesn't want to raise this kid. That is forced upon her, and she's trying her best. When it's dumped, she could have easily sent it to the orphanage. You know, I, I have, she could have been the mom from Shazam, where she left her niece at a carnival never to be seen again. But she oh, yeah, I mean, makes on herself to take the high road. Yeah, and every at some time, point,
3: they say that the father's parents are willing to take her.
1: Yeah, so I feel like the movie, it's not entirely on her side. And I love Alison Williams. I think she knows the movie she's in. There is a certain amount of self-awareness to a lot of these performances. But talking about 90s relic, her boss might as well be out of Liar liar. <laughs> Or Tommy Boy. Like, this feels like such a relic who's ridiculously over the top. All they care about is money. Yeah, it's weird how, for as futuristic as a lot of this tech is, so much of the writing feels like a hallmark of a bygone era.
2: She was one of the only things I liked about Get Out. Of course,
1: you side with the
2: crazy racist girlfriend. <laughs> she kept that movie grounded for me. But... I find her to be sympathetic in the way that, as you said, Matt, she has been forced to look after this kid. And I think they're trying to see, okay, how can she do her work while at the same time watching her? Because both of them don't want to be in this situation, obviously. The kid's traumatized because her parents are dead and she was just in a massive car accident i think they could have played that up a little bit more but it's an interesting take that you have though that she's the villain because that's two different sides that i can definitely agree with so the perpetual pets model is getting ripped off so they need to go simpler gemma says that the new way to keep ahead is to make more advanced models i.e the megan model that she's working on but the model malfunctions as she tests it and blows up right in front of them not a good look How do we feel about how we're starting off here, boys? This is the Megan that we've been seeing in the ads and things, and then it just blows up right in front of everybody.
3: I wasn't surprised that we'd see, like, an evolution of the doll of the android. But for Dubro boss to, like, want to like, suddenly scrap the whole thing, yeah. they get the tightest, smallest bit of something that would work, and they would push that to the nth degree. So just deciding that seeing something that kind of worked until it didn't, they're going to scrap it. I don't know. The, I feel like I'm watching the net. Sandra Bullock, that's what <laughs> I feel like the writing is in this movie. I feel like it's just 25, 30 years behind
1: where we are today.
2: And by the way, Megan stands for Model 3 Generative Android.
1: I'm with Adam that this movie is written by people who don't understand how deadlines work and corporate quarterly timelines. It's it's, it's kind of hilarious, but... I also think the movie, this is one of the things that frustrated me, is that there's a lot of setup before Mm. Megan is even introduced.
2: And
1: in a movie that's not taking itself very seriously, I view that as a problem because is it really that consequential how Megan is created? And people are coming to see the doll. Does anyone really care about this? I certainly care about the sister, or the, yeah, the sister and her niece. You have to establish that dynamic. But, As far as the corporate stuff, all you have to say is just, she's been working on a project, and that's it. You know, I did it to make her feel better.
2: Well, as if the comparisons weren't enough. I think if you've gone that route, you'd have gotten even more comparisons to Chucky, because don't forget, in that first movie, we get introduced to that doll without knowing where the hell it comes from, just that it's popular.
1: Yeah, and I remember, like, outside of the Aubrey Plaza seeing it on the TV, is there a reason she got it for Andy
2: in the Remake Dude, I haven't watched that movie since we watched it for that podcast, I couldn't tell you. So we cut to Gemma signing protective custody papers for her sister's daughter, who was in a bad place, both physically and mentally, after the accident. And
1: her performance.
2: (laughs) Wow, really? Not a fan of this girl, huh?
1: I hated this character. Wow. I was with her up to a point Then Megan implants her with, like, a a mind control worm. And she just becomes immensely unlikable after a certain point. And her acting, especially when she has to yell later on, it feels so inauthentic. And I looked up her sister, because her sister is also an actress. She was the sister in the black phone. Oh, yeah. Oh. If you watch that performance, I guess only one... Parent must have passed down the good acting genes.
2: Let the yeah, record be shown. The hell out of
1: that performance.
2: Yeah. Let the record be shown that Matt is the one who's putting down the kid in this. I didn't think she was that bad.
3: Oh, stay tuned because yes, I'm
2: gonna. Oh boy. You know All what? Right.
3: No, I'll say it now. You know the difference between the score to Jaws and this actress? The score to Jaws at least can play two notes. This actress has one, <laughs> and it's annoying. Oh, it's, she, she, she's a girl. I hope she does better. It's just, I don't like what they have her do in this. I feel like I'm watching Samara from The Ring for 90 minutes.
2: There's just not enough <laughs> <this one. laughs>
1: Well, it makes sense that you compare it to Samara because her acting style is very black and white. Oy vey.
2: We see the neighbor has an uncontrollable dog running around and putting chemicals all over, including Gemma's driveway. Hmm, I wonder how this is going to end.
1: And again, the movie treats it like Gemma is the villain.
2: I she know. She's
1: totally in the right
2: fist off. Uh-huh, yes. Absolutely. Katie is looking around at the collectibles, not toys, in Gemma's house, and not putting glasses on coasters. Adam, I I thought of you, dude. I thought of (laughs) you with
3: this. (laughs) This is the moment that Laura walks in the room and goes, you feel seen here, don't you?
1: (laughs) Shut up <laughs> They're not rock story, they're minerals
2: <laughs> Gemma said that she is going to do everything she can to make her house seem like home But Gemma feels weird reading a downloaded on her phone story to this kid So we've established that both in her home life and professional life This Gemma character is reliant on technology And that becomes important as this film goes on And Matt, you are trying to argue that that makes her the villain
1: yeah, it does. But I do appreciate that the movie is a, is illustrating that this is difficult for anyone to take on. Like, it, this is not a, a Hollywood sanitized, oh, they get along and she becomes Mrs. Doubt. Like, she doesn't become Mrs. Doubtfire where she knows how to do everything. It's awkward. You know, they're of different generations. She's self-absorbed in her work. I see the through line that she cannot connect with her. And I wish they focused on that more. As opposed to, oh, you're a bad person because you're not capable of taking care of this child. Yes, yeah, she's not. She gives it her all as far as effort goes. They did
3: everything except tell us that she was barren and falls in love and has a daughter of her own by the end of this film.
2: Gemma calls her friend to vent a bit, including the fact that she spent $100,000 of company funds on a product that her boss didn't even pay for. They get a visit from... A caseworker who is very weird about Katie still being in her pajamas and Jenna all of a sudden feels okay with having her play with her collectibles right in front of this person who's going to determine whether or not she's able to live with her or not. This is just one big awkward scene.
1: (laughs) Yeah, this is very awkward, but also you'd think that caseworker would be more than understanding given it's not a whole lot of time since the car accident. At what point do you say, okay, there is a certain amount of grieving time, but I think that process, especially for a young girl, would be considerably longer than if she was like a teenager.
2: I agree with that. Well,
3: mm-hmm. oh, especially realizing that she lost her sister.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, the
3: girl lost her mom, but she's mourning too. It's just, yeah, I don't know. Everything when it comes to the social worker is seems shoved in there out of place.
1: Oh, uh, this is basically speaking of Mrs. Dowfire. She's the the caseworker that keeps going to Robin Williams' house reputable. Again, this movie feels very mangy. Speaking of which, this movie could be a fucking remake of Wes Craven's Deadly Friend.
2: Oh God, I want to do that movie so bad. Oh my god, don't get me started on that one.
1: You wanna watch that movie, everybody? Just look for one scene and one <laughs> scene always. Type in Deadly Friend Basketball.
2: Yes. Yes. Uh... Which is
1: gorier than anything. You see in this
2: movie. <laughs> <laughs> the caseworker asks how close Gemma was with her sister and the reason why she's taking custody of Katie at this time and not giving her to her grandparents. She tells Katie that she needs to work on her project and asks Katie to hold down the fort as she works. She promises afterwards that she's going to take her to get something other than toast to eat. But before they know it, it's dark and Katie ends up drawing a picture. We're then introduced to Bruce. Hmm. I wonder if this robot will come back into play later
3: on. Oh, You mean Baymax?
1: <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, fuck. You're right.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, good Are call. Are you
1: satisfied with your care? <laughs> on a scale of one to ten, how would you rate this movie?
2: <laughs>
3: the amazing thing is she's working at home.
2: Mm-hmm. There's
3: not this reason that she's got to ostracize herself from Katie while she's here in the house. You're working you're at work, home. Yeah, you're you didn't working from home. not go to the office. Yeah. It's, it's a weird decision.
2: Katie says if she had a toy like Bruce, she would never need another one again. And boy, oh boy, this is when we get the first montage of this movie.
1: That's very 90s, too.
2: Yes. How about this movie's hip soundtrack, huh?
1: (laughs) Is this hip? I, I mean, I
2: don't listen to a whole lot of modern music. Uh, Honestly, I don't either, so I couldn't tell you. We're seeing the Megan model still getting worked on as David the Angry Boss walks in and Katie is introduced to Megan. It is a massive success. David is impressed, proclaiming to be all in, and the film is kind of off and running after this because now Megan has gotten the go-ahead.
3: Am I the only one that thought it weird that this corporate office has this, like, stripper glass looking through? (laughs) When they're introducing this, it looks like the old peep show. Freaking put a quarter in, <laughs> let the drape roll up.
2: I
1: die, yeah, yeah. I was thinking of that see-through glass, basically think of a police procedural. Yeah.
2: yeah. You know what else I thought of, Matt? We see the Terminator POV effects here, too.
1: Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. Flash Predator vision with threat, not a threat.
2: This is the moment, as David proclaims, they kick Hasbro in the dick. Boy, some of the dialogue in this.
3: Wow. I, yeah. You know, and I'll say, this is when, and I'm assuming it's got to be only on the unrated because the version you saw was PG-13. Every time the boss speaks with his name, David,
2: mm-hmm.
3: I think every time that he says shit or bitch in the unrated, he just says fuck before it. Every other word out of his mouth is fucking this, fucking that, fucking bro, fucking dude. It's, just, yeah.
1: So it becomes a Guy Ritchie movie?
3: Pretty much.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> we didn't get another little bit of a montage as Gemma goes over how Megan works. Let's talk about this, especially how Megan is dressed. In this introduction, boys, how do we feel about Megan?
3: I think it's done up enough that it's kind of creepy, kind of eerie. She's stuff like it would be Wednesday Adams as a killer doll.
2: Oh, that's a good call. I like the combination of effects here because they actually got a, n- a little girl to actually do these movements and things that this doll does. But they also have this CGI look on her that is really, really creepy. And this dress that they have on her, the, the way they have her dressed, it has that, like, that, that, that scary, and I know this is a wand contribution. This is that 1960s, 50s, mm-hmm. prim and proper girl look.
1: Yeah, I like the combination of things that they use. You know, it's a 12-year-old girl physically playing her, juxtaposed with, you know, I thought Amanda Seafried was the stand-in with how big those eyes are. Yeah. <laughs>
2: yes.
1: <laughs> and uh, she's voiced by someone else. So yeah. It's a whole different set of things to make her work and it's pretty convincing you know i I like that she looks artificial there's always that unease of like okay how human is this thing actually because if it looked like if it was just that 12 year old actress you would have had a certain disconnect where you forget she's human this is the difference between this and terminator schwarzenegger just looks like he does until he has to take out his eye it looks fake as shit but (laughs) here you're always a a bit uh, concerned. Because it doesn't look entirely real. Like she could not go to a school and pass as an actual student.
2: You know, that's a great point. I'm glad you mentioned that because we have a franchise coming up where there are her things talking to other things that don't actually look like they're actually there. Here, <laughs> the interaction is happening, and I do believe that this thing is real. You know, she does look artificial. Her skin and everything else, the way her eyes are, it is really creepy. But it does have that practical feel to it, and you are thinking that Allison Williams is interacting with it. You know, You are mm-hmm. thinking that this little girl is interacting with it. It's actually very convincing. Yeah, no,
3: I agree. I think that's where it really works, and it's it's unsettling and off-putting enough that it feels like there's an android there that she's interacting
2: with. So Megan's telling Katie to be sure to flush the toilet and wash her hands. She tells her stories. She never runs out of ways to keep Katie occupied, and she never runs out of patience. She's more than a toy. She's a part of the family. Which I think
1: is also a line from the Chucky
2: remake. <laughs> I think it is too, actually. <laughs> Tess This is a dissenter asking why people would want Megan to do all that. Somebody who replaces parents instead of helping them. Megan, who was supposedly turned off, then asks how Katie's parents died. So this is the first sign that this is a little weird here. You know what, Matt, the more I go over this plot, the more I'm very convinced of what you're saying. Because she's being asked by this person at work, why would people want these robots to replace parents. Megan constantly watches Katie as she plays, even keeping an eye on a butterfly that appears on the window. This was kind of a cool scene because she's actually kind of distracted a little bit by this little butterfly. Mm
1: -hmm. I thought she was going to activate instant kill mode and shoot it with a wink.
3: I thought by the end of this movie, we were going to see her evolve herself into a butterfly where the
1: caterpillar does.
2: Interesting. I thought she was going to do something
1: that way. You thought this was going to turn into the lawnmower,
2: man? (laughs) We'll get there. Transcendence?
1: You're the only person who likes that fucking thing?
2: Go back to the pirate's bloopers. Uh, Megan starts being very quiet, keeping a close eye on things like Katie's arrows. She reaches for the arrow and is attacked by the neighborhood dog. Her eyes get big as the dog is biting Katie's hand, and, and then the neighbor gives Megan... A look and a half, man. Like, this look that Megan gives this neighbor, it's fucking creepy as fuck. Oh, yeah. You let oh, this dog loose.
1: With all the sassy back talk and expressions that Megan gives, they should have called this movie Karen.
2: <laughs> <laughs> the cops can't do anything about it, and their only advice is to fix the hole in the fence. And by the way, I've had neighbors like this. Not to the extreme that this lady is, but when they're stubborn like this, they're a bitch to deal with. In my case, and Adam remembers this, it was a tree that was growing in their yard that was getting leaves in our backyard swimming pool. And in essence, ending up ruining the pool. But this neighbor, like, this is... To the extreme, right? This is what horror films do. This is why I do think, you know, I've heard it said this is a science fiction film. No, it's a horror film. This is what kind of makes it a horror film because we do have these extreme characters, these caricatures.
1: Oh, yeah. But it's also, they're so broad that it's also a horror comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I don't it's ever not one thing over the other. I think they walk the line pretty close.
2: We're seeing Dewey, the dog, being called by who he thinks is his owner but is actually Megan. And the dog is pulled through the hole in the fence. Adam... Does that unrated cut show anything other than this dog being pulled through the fence? Please say no.
3: Nope. No, you don't actually see the dog get killed or anything like that. No.
2: Okay. The next morning, she cannot find her dog, and Katie is feeling better than yesterday, and Megan won't stop with the facts. <laughs> like, she's just laying the facts on. Gemma has a huge demonstration today, and Katie proclaims that she will be all right for it. We cut to said demonstration as David introduces a doll and Katie just loses it in the room, and Megan comforts her, which really wins the room over. This was interesting.
1: Uh, I thought the big thing was going to be that she sabotages this, and it goes haywire. Not that it would win everybody over, because that's where I thought this movie was going, that Megan, in her quest, is now going to ruin Gemma's life completely. That would have been a way to go. Mm-hmm.
3: I thought it was a different take, because however I thought this you know scene was going to go, it sure wasn't this way. I don't, know, I don't think they know exactly what to do with Katie, and how to and how to have her play what she's going through. But it's effective enough to know that, you know, she's still suffering, she's still going through her trauma, and Megan's got one goal, and that's to help Katie.
2: David gets the go-ahead to move ahead with the project. Kurt, meanwhile, he isn't Pornhubbing in the office, but he is saving files associated with Megan, and I guarantee this is going to be what is in that sequel. Guarantee
3: it. Oh, without a doubt, I also guarantee that there's a reshoot. This is some random little office that we don't see anything about again. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: he's the Dennis Nedry of this movie.
2: Yep. yep. <laughs> wow, nice call. Uh-huh.
1: Yeah, and I'm convinced this was either a reshoot or something that maybe they considered deleting but kept it in because they knew deep down they wanted a sequel. Yep. But it's also not 100% resolved.
2: No. <laughs> like he was, I
1: thought the big twist was going to be he sells this to the Umbrella Corporation.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Megan and Katie, they're doing a thumb war instead of having Katie eat a hot dog. And then Katie ends up declaring that Megan get turned back on. So the creation Gemma did is actually creating a monster within both the robot and child here, which is a nice little play here. But, Matt, didn't we just see this in the Child's Play remake?
1: Yeah, we... Uh, uh, it's, it's So much of this, for something that's revolutionary, this feels like an old school model that they just slightly tweaked where I never felt like this was as groundbreaking. They didn't take this to its fullest potential, I felt, especially based on that trailer, because as great as that trailer advertised, all the best stuff is in it. They showed their
2: hand completely. I think they were scared of not being able to sell it. And those are the worst trailers, the ones that show everything. Meanwhile, the caseworker, she gets a talking to by Megan about making Katie cry. Now, Adam, as somebody who has a daughter, did any of this really get to you at all, the way this doll is interacting with this child?
3: No, not really. I'm waiting for the shoe to drop. I'm waiting for stuff to happen. I don't know. The movie seems preoccupied with decades-old tech speak. It seems preoccupied with avoiding saying the word A.I., You know, like it dances around that, like it's threatened to be sued by Elon Musk. Like, it says everything but AI. The relationship that they have, I never feel like they're that close or that friend. I don't feel like Katie loves Megan. When I think you kind of need that for when Megan does everything that she's going to do. I think you need to feel Katie's going to defend her. I think you need Megan's going to defend Katie, and it's, it's not in this movie.
2: Oh, no, we'll get the dancing later. (laughs) (laughs) matt's been waiting six months to talk about that the caseworker talks to Gemma about the fact that megan is attached to katie and then the caseworker gives the attachment theory giving katie an inability to emotionally grow these are kind of different themes and Mm -hmm. i do like the reliance on technology here and calling that out yeah i
1: agree that's i think the piece of commentary or new twist that they're actually doing it but because it goes in and out It makes me think that this would have worked much better as a one-hour episode of Black Mirror. It would accomplish the same thing. Uh, To be honest, there reaches a point in this movie where I felt the length, even though it's only an hour and 40 minutes, and I felt like they were, like the ear, stretching it out.
2: Katie refuses to eat vegetables and says that she's learning more with Megan than with real kids at school. And Gemma tells her about a school that she wants to send her to, and the struggle (laughs) between the two makes Megan get so angry the lights flicker. Yeah, she puts down a
1: pamphlet and it's Xavier's school for gifting young
2: (laughs) Katie shows up for an adventure at school and Gemma is convinced to let Megan stay at the toy table. We know this won't last, do we boys?
3: No. That shot of her at the toy table, by the way, of anything else, that's a great little shot.
2: <laughs> that is a nice shot. just,
3: just kind of like standing out amongst that table.
2: <laughs> the parents are making sandwiches as one mom is happy to get the children away from their devices, and Brandon tells his mom to fuck off.
1: <laughs> What's going to happen to this kid, I wonder?
2: <laughs> I'm telling you. I kind of I, was probably,
1: made, I probably left Stephen King behind. <laughs> I was
2: just about to say, why doesn't this kid get to the kid in Return to Sam's Lot? <laughs> Brandon is paired with Katie, because of course he is, as they're off in the woods and Brandon starts making Katie uncomfortable, which of course makes Megan show up. She's not saying anything as Brandon picks her up and Katie calls for Gemma. Brandon takes her and, well, what is he going to do with her exactly? This was the one part of the movie where I was like, this is disturbing as fuck
1: hmm I have no earthly idea, and the implications they're just gross yeah. and uncalled- and it's uncalled for, and I'm like, okay, if you were gonna do this, if you had to contrive way, just have him like threaten to smash it with a rock. Hmm. Like, we don't need sticky implications that uh ugh, I wanted to take a shower after this part.
3: It doesn't really go any different from I believe. I mean, you get this weird little—you know—picks up the doll. Every other word out of this kid's mouth is cussing as well, mm. um, but he doesn't—you know—he doesn't say what he's going to do to the doll. But yeah, Matt said you kind of get an icky feeling here, but that's about okay. it.
2: Okay, this gets uncomfortable as Brandon hits her, and then she says that Brandon is going to grow up to be a bad man as she rips off his ear. And you know, you may love the dancing in this, Matt. I love when she gets on all fours and chases him. <laughs> I can't help it, man. It is cheesy as fuck, but I don't know. There's something about that that's kind of disturbing to me as well.
1: Oh, uh, they totally should have played the Predator music. <laughs> Because <laughs> th- this, I think I laughed harder at this than I did at the dancing during the initial trailer, because there's no build up to it. There's no foreshadowing of it. It just, it just happens, and you're sitting there going, okay, I guess she watched a lot of National Geographic while Katie was sleeping. <laughs> but I also love, you know that see in the menu? They take them all outside. He's like, I'm going to give you a 45 second head start. Mm-hmm. I'm glad to be in that. <laughs> <laughs> this was great. I'll say, ripping those kids' ears off, and I assume it was longer in
3: this unrated cut that I mm-hmm. got to see, but it was a slow stretch, and watching it like separate out from the head. I can put up with a lot, but just something that you can envision happening to yourself made me want to run for the door.
2: Ugh. I'd imagine this was pretty graphic as opposed to what me and Matt saw. Oh,
1: She really needed to drop a pun. I was waiting
2: for the punchline,
1: and it never hit.
2: Who would be the female equivalent of Brad Dura? <laughs> Have those kinds you know, of puns. I'm thinking
1: like, Freddy Krueger. Like, he mm-hmm. killed a, yeah. a kid with a hearing aid, and they're like, all right, we can't do that. He's cornered the market on bad <laughs> jokes about ears.
2: Speaking of Stephen King, I thought of Pet Cemetery because he chases him to the street where he gets taken out, Gage Creed style. Yeah, well, except I wasn't yelling, build a fence. For more, more info on that, stick around for our King retro in a year. At least. (laughs) Gemma tries comforting Katie about what happened at school, and she swears that she didn't see anything that she didn't tell the police. Meanwhile, the police show back up to look for Celia's dog. In bed that night, Megan says that no matter how hard they try to avoid it, bad things happen. She also says that Brandon is not in a better place, and if heaven does exist, it's not for boys like him to exist in. And this is when Megan's really taking on a life of her own here, taking over this kid.
1: Yeah, this is where it starts to take that turn. I mean, look, she inadvertently had someone killed, so I guess this was the next logical place to go.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Meanwhile, Celia won't stop with her search for Dewey the dog. She goes to her shed where there's whimpering, and she finds Megan, who says the dog's, five feet deep. She hits her with pesticides and a nail gun.
1: You know, you gotta say
2: this. These are some interesting kills going on here. Yeah, and she uses the predator
1: thing of imitating voices.
2: Yeah, Uh Yeah. great call. Yeah, This
3: right here made me think, because I think they've done a decent job of staying away from it for the most part, but using these kind of tools in a shed something like this made me think a child's play this kind of death
1: right here
2: we then cut to the next day as celia is wheeled away and gemma is getting questioned by a detective who says that yesterday's scene they had found the boy's ear completely ripped off gemma starts researching megan's files where she finds videos that would have vindicated megan as perpetrator of the crimes but they are completely corrupted
3: Oh, Skynet has become (laughs) (laughs) self-aware.
2: Megan shows up to Gemma's work study and won't turn off as she asks what's wrong. She says that she hopes she didn't do anything. As if she did, they'd both be in a lot of trouble. So, Megan's playing the cards here. Gemma puts Megan in a truck to make sure that she's okay. And Katie is going nuts without Megan at her side. And this is, Matt, this is what you're talking about when this kid just can't act.
1: Yeah, and also this is where I'm no longer on her side whatsoever.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Her or Gemma's? Yeah, it's at this point where I sort of lose a grasp on anything to care about because now the movie just shifts into building up to the third act, Unveiling, which I think watching a football game has a bigger body count than this. You know, because at least the, the Child's Play remake, shit goes haywire in the oh, yeah. toy store at the end. Mm-hmm. People are getting killed by, like, flying planes. It's, mm-hmm. it's kind of crazy. This feels
2: so... It's like they ran out of money. Yeah, I got that feeling, too. Gemma debates with her workmates that Megan's ability to recalibrate with all the kids' sensibilities has caused her to lash out against all threats to her, as Katie's protests continue with Lydia, the caseworker. We then cut to a report on Megan's upcoming launch, and this is very deliberate, huh? (laughs) (laughs) We see Katie talk about how her mom's death led her to live with Gemma, and that's what led her to Megan, which when she looks at her, it's like she's the only thing that matters. So they're really hitting this really hard here. Katie punches Gemma in protest, and she says that she goes crazy without Megan, and she wants her to let Katie see her. Gemma says she made a promise to her mom that she wouldn't let anything happen to Katie and asked to go home, but of course, there's the launch to think about. This whole launch, would there really be this much press around the launch of a toy?
3: You know what? I think what they should have done on something like this is do it at an expo.
2: Yeah, good call.
3: Do some cinematic E3 or con or something like that. I think that would have been a good way to do it, you know, some unveil. I mean, we're even at, I mean, we're at like generic tech city area. It feels like we're kind of maybe outside Seattle or something like that. It's hard to tell. You know, everything's very gray. There's no specifics given for anything in this film, but I think you could have done it that way. Even if it was a major expo at a company, you know, for a launch Something like Apple has done over the years.
1: Well, that's what they should have done is unveiled this at an Apple shareholders meeting or something of something that equivalent.
2: Mm-hmm. Gemma tells Tess that she's taking Katie home, and she tells Tess to keep Megan from being launched. We cut to Tess stringing up Megan, and we see that Megan is actually locking them out of her system. So she's playing the system here. Kirk goes and tries unhooking Megan from the system as she wakes up and hangs him. She leaves the lab to be blown up as she walks out. David tries calling Gemma. Here we go. All right, Matt. And then is approached by a twerking Megan, complete with a sword. And she chases him to the elevator and kills him. And then calls Kurt out on how he's stealing company secrets before killing him as well. All right, Matt. This was
3: vicious and bloody. Was it, yeah, the yeah, the killing of him. I mean, he's cussing the whole time, but there's it a lot of blood being strewn about here in the cut I saw,
2: all right, Goudreau. You're seeing the scene from the trailer, the the moment of truth here. (laughs) What are you thinking when you're finally seeing how this is integrated into the film?
1: It delivers, but it's also as out of place as her running on all fours in the woods. Never seen her have a propensity for music, let alone listening to it. So, you know, and again, it wasn't all that surprising because I saw it in the trailer, but it plays not as straight as it does in the trailer, which is to say not very much.
2: The elevator opens, and this pretty much ruins the launch. She drives away. Meanwhile, Gemma comfortably sees that Katie is actually sleeping soundly, but Elsie, who we haven't really we haven't talked about Elsie yet, but Elsie is the Siri, pretty much, of this film. Elsie is not responding to her demands. And in a dimly lit house, Megan is playing a piano, and she's pissed yes, she that is. she is uncommissioned. Do
3: you know what she's playing on the piano?
2: I read it, and it slips I my mind. I love this.
3: I'm probably one of five people who got this while it was actually happening. That's freaking Martika's toy song, people. Yes, yes. Love it.
2: A song me and you used to play a lot in our cars.
3: Yeah. (laughs) Find it hard to wake up in the morning. (laughs) Yes.
2: So fantastic. So she gives a speech about how killing people shouldn't have stopped anything, and she says that she's always going to be there for Katie. Megan also says that she's there to move forward. And she needs to focus on Katie. Katie approaches the room and Megan tells her to not let her in. And Megan just whips her arm around. And boy, do we have a fight. Mm -hmm. Megan's still twerking her way down the hall as Gemma puts some obstacles around until she gets her hands on a chainsaw that works on her head. Megan headbutts Gemma. Yes, I said that. (laughs) (laughs) And then threatens Gemma with a pen. Katie comes in, and Megan says that Gemma's not fit to be a mother. But Katie has another plan, and that's to sick Bruce on her. Bruce hangs her upside down. As Megan starts singing, but this doesn't deter Kate, she ends up ripping Megan in half. Boys, this is a hell of a final fight.
3: I did not see that coming whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We see Megan ripped in half. I feel like they take a lot of this ending, especially what comes up just after this like modeling from so many different sci-fi, Android-type movies that we've seen. They're cherry-picking this and that. We got stuff from RoboCop. We got stuff from Terminator. And it's just all thrown in here for cheesiness. But I can't imagine how the PG-13 version played for some type of action goriness here at the end because I think it needed needed more in the unrated version I saw to get me completely bought in. So I don't think there's enough of a horror element once they've dropped a comedy here at the end.
2: Goudreau, were you feeling the late here?
1: I, I, I sort of was up until they went into that garage. I'm like, okay, this is actually pretty cool. You know, it's suspenseful for what it's trying to be. I saw the thing with Bruce coming. I will say I like the final fight in this better than I like the climax of Child's Play. I also was not expecting a fatality where she gets ripped in half.
2: Yeah, it should also be said, too, that this isn't her death yet. She's not dead because she's still... Oh, a- no,
1: because got to make a shitload of moves. See how much money this girl made. <laughs>
2: Well, she's still approaching after this, and as she's crawling her way toward Gemma, she does get to Katie, calling her an ungrateful little bitch, until Gemma just rips her face completely off.
3: It's the eight <laughs> hundred.
2: There you go. She has Gemma by the throat until Katie approaches with a screwdriver and plunges it right into her circuits.
1: The- oh no, you saw the
2: big spot. <laughs> <laughs> the technical flaw, much like the Death Star. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. That's next month. The cops show up with Kurt, so no, he didn't die. As Elsie finally wakes up, which, again, I think this is another reshot thing, all set for a sequel.
3: It's got to be. I mean, the ending of this movie comes in like 30 seconds. I don't know who or why the cops show up. I don't know why the boss is there, especially since I watched him get stabbed through with a sword and her literally like rip it out. So I'm confused by this entire ending. And it ended quicker than the parents' car did at the beginning of this film. This thing screeches to a crash.
2: But it's an interesting thing where, and they could go places with this, where it could be Megan who's plugging into Elsie here, which... I think it could actually be kind of cool if they went with that. Oh, I think that's exactly
1: what it is. Oh, yeah, that's
3: exactly what they did. And that mm-hmm. part I appreciate because, yeah, she's sending out her AI that they've avoided, but her robot consciousness into LCE or Ellie, whatever it was. She's in the Internet now. Mm-hmm. So we know how that goes. you <laughs> are <laughs>
1: really going to get your sequel to the net. <laughs>
2: and Ghosts in the Machine and Transcend. Okay. Uh- <laughs> <The>
1: Matrix and...
2: Gujara, what do you think about the final frames here?
1: Oh, I knew this was coming as soon as she overtook Katie for, uh whatever this Alexa knockoff is. Elsie. Uh, yeah, Elsie. I wasn't surprised in, in the slightest because I knew this was not going to be a one-off thing. <laughs> I, I think this was added after the response to that trailer.
2: I think a lot of stuff in this has been was added after the response to that trailer.
3: Yeah. I think once they decided that they were going to take it from streaming to theaters, they threw probably double the production budget just to market this thing. And then you're absolutely going to go back, film some stuff to make it a F-word franchise.
2: Scaling one to ten, boys. What do we feel about Megan? Uh, Adam, you go ahead and go, sir.
3: It's weird. When this movie came out, when I saw the trailer, I was interested to go see it. I thought me and my daughter were going to go. And it ended up not happening. And the further that it went away from it, the less interested I got in seeing it. But I heard people rave about this movie. I mean, people seem to think that this thing was just fantastic and everything that it needed in horror comedy. And I gotta say, it didn't land there for me. Maybe it was because of expectations of hearing it, but I tried to be fairly low on that scale because uh, it didn't drive me to go see it initially. i glad I saw it at home, but not paying for it generally makes me happier. Saw an unrated version, generally that would make me happier for it. But when it comes down to it, there's just a lot of hit and misses in this movie. And yes, it's a silly horror if you want to put it that way comedy there's barely any horror in it it's fine it's fun if you're going to watch it i would suggest getting a couple friends together grabbing a pizza grabbing some drinks and laughing your way through this but the writing is not only pedestrian it's 1989 to 1992 pedestrian and that's pretty bad there's not a great performance in the entire film you know Allison williams is fine and that's about as good as it gets the idea It's been done, it's been done many times, but that doesn't mean it's bad, it just means it's nothing that we haven't seen before. It's an okay movie. I think you can do some really interesting and cool stuff when it comes to a sequel, and I will actually want to see a sequel out of this. I think the effect work was decent. I think the way that they made Megan look was pretty dang cool, and I'll give the actress that actually got a chance to play her, Amy Donald, did a decent job of making that eerie sci-fi android humanoid look come out. So props on that. But as a movie, I can't give this a good score. I can't give it a bad score because I think it depends on the mindset you're going to watch it in. So I'm going to go down the middle. I'm going to give it a five. You know, in the right mindset, you can have some fun with it. In the wrong mindset, I think you'll be put off quite a bit. But have some drinks, sit down with friends, don't watch it alone, and try to have some fun.
2: Question before I go to Goudreau. Would you watch yeah. this with your daughter? Would you show this to her?
3: I would. I absolutely would. I think for a preteen or teenager that wants to see this kind of schlocky comedy horror, I think this is a decent way to go.
2: All right. Sounds a lot. Goudreau, what about you, sir?
1: I can't believe how in lockstep I am with Adam, because the five letters in Megan's name correspond to the five numerical score I'm going to give it. I think this is a movie that is undone by the hype surrounding it, and maybe partially that's on me for getting my expectations up based on that trailer, but as it stands for a movie that has an interesting technological component as far as bringing this thing to life, the writing is very two-dimensional. It's predictable, which is not always a bad thing, but I think here you offset that by going full absurdism, and I don't feel like they fully embrace that. It also stocks up on jump scares, and I do think the PG-13 hurts it, which I very rarely complain about, but here is one where I have to make that exception. What works here does work, but at the same time, there's never that, oh, holy shit scene that would make me recommend this if you have not seen the trailer. So it is what it is. I was very disappointed... (laughs) And I'm kind of baffled by the word of mouth. I'm like, yeah, it's fine. But do I think this is going to be something that really stands the test of time? Who knows? My guess would be no. I think a lot of that still has to do with people hyping up that trailer as much as they do. So, yeah, this to me was something that I think could have used one more model in the writing department to really pump this up and make it something on par with what it could have been. But as it is, it's okay. Didn't love it. Didn't hate it. You know, it's a great rental. So I'm going to give it like a 5 on 10 with the same qualifiers as Adam does. Watching it by yourself was probably the worst thing I could have done.
2: I can't believe I'm only giving a score that's one point higher than both of you because I think I was about as negative as you guys were on it, honestly. I don't know. I shouldn't say negative. I think there are things about this movie that it tries to say. Look, this is a schlocky little PG-13 horror film. And it should be said that this was going to be an R-rated film. But once that trailer came out, producers were like, let's get the teenagers in and they cut it down to PG-13, and this is what we got. According to Adam, not much has made it that much better with that unrated cut. That being said, I think it is something that you could really throw on if you need something to watch, and it's on Peacock right now as we speak, and just have a pretty decent time with it. But the thing is that while this movie is schlocky, it does go for those commentary things that some of these films try to do where it's like, okay, you got to pay attention here. If you let your kids just dive into your devices. This is what you're gonna turn them into. A more extreme version of that. And we'll get to that when we get to sell by King a few years down the line here. But I'm looking at this movie and it's like it's not a bad movie. It's not a great movie. I think it's on the border of being a good movie because as somebody who likes that schlocky stuff, as somebody who likes child's play, as somebody who even liked Dead Silence, which not a lot of people liked, I find a lot of this entertaining. Honestly, I think when she gets on all fours, it is tremendous. And I do think there is some decent acting going on here. I was not annoyed with the little girl as you guys were. But this isn't much more than a modernized Roger Corman storyline. Just put up with a little bit of sheen. So I'll go six on ten for Megan. Have no fear, listeners. If you listen to this podcast this month, the Three Men Retrospective podcast this month, the Salem's Lot shows did mention that... We are going to be reviewing the updated version of Salem's Lot that's produced by the same gentleman who produced this movie, James Wan, and directed by Gary Doberman. We are still doing that. That is still in the cards. We had to fill the slot with something. Who knows? By the time this podcast is coming out, maybe that Salem's Lot will be in theaters and it will be a week of release review. But we wanted to get something in the can just in case. But, Goudreau, I want you, sir, to reveal what our next retrospective will be. Because this is something that a lot of people have been asking about, including two of the people on this podcast.
1: No, you're right. We've been asked about it for as long as we've been together. And after all these years, we're finally going to go ahead. James wants, we're going to do the Saw movies. (laughs) (laughs) Yay! (laughs) Uh, Well, we're sort of doing something that has to do with saw because i feel like no matter what you say about these movies you're in your own jigsaw trap uh, we're talking about star wars. we're finally talking about star wars
2: yep going to the galaxy far far away and boy did i have reservations about doing this series and i'll get into that when we do that first show but this is something that believe it or not has been asked of us uh, we all have history with this i have a kind of a uh, a battered history with Star Wars, where I got really sick of it a few years ago, which those stories I will get into when we do that first show, but this is definitely a series I am looking forward to diving into. Adam, how much are you looking forward to going into Star Wars, sir?
3: You know what? I can't wait for us to discuss it, because of all the movies we've discussed and things like that, we've really not discussed this galaxy much at all. We've made more references to Star Trek than we have to Star Wars, and there's a lot of positive and negatives that could be discussed here. And I think we're definitely going to have a lot of positive and negatives. So I think whichever way we go with each installment is going to make some people happy and some people pissed off. And that seems to be the way that star Wars is done nowadays. (laughs) So I can't wait to have this discussion. This is a franchise that has been a part of my life since I was a kid. So, it's going to be great to rewatch them. It's going to be great to watch them with a critical eye, with a fan eye, and for, like I've been doing with you for damn near 30 years, having a chance to sit down and just wax Rexotic and talk about these.
2: Yep. Me and Adam, we, um, we live the prequels together, and uh, those are stories we'll get into, but there's just so much to discuss there that we will leave on the table for now. But yeah, Star Wars is uh, is coming up, and again, I was just so desensitized to this series. I was against doing this series for a, a long time. I wanted to stay away from this series, and um, all those reasons I will give next week. But Until next week, when we discuss Star Wars, yes, Star Wars, not A New Hope. 1977's Star Wars (laughs) If something's broke You don't just throw it away You podcast it Thank you gentlemen So we need
0: to talk about school Can I bring Megan? Katie you know that's not possible Then I'm not going Oh come on Katie Hey, I'm sorry. Let's just talk about it. Hey, hey, hey. Let me go. Whoa. Hey. <coughs> hey, Katie. Whoa. What are you doing? Stop it. Katie, calm
2: down. Let her go.
0: <laughs> Thank you. For listening to this episode of The Three Men in a Retrospective Podcast.
1: She'll never run out of ways to keep your child occupied, and she'll never run out of
0: patience. Join us next week for an entirely new review. How could you do this? How could you kill someone? I didn't kill anyone. You did. And if you would be so kind, please take a moment and give us a positive review and rating on your podcast platform of choice. You're not currently on our subscriber feed. It truly helps others find and discover our podcasts.
1: Aunt Jem is right, Katie. I'm all odds and ends right now. I'd really rather you didn't see me like this.
0: The Three Men in a Retrospective Podcast is produced by Garrett, Matt, Adam, and Nathan.
2: When Macken is revealed, it's really important that we get big reactions.
0: Edited by Garrett. <laughs> Voiceovers by Adam
2: all the moisture
0: is drained from your eyes and mouth into other parts of your body the three men in a retrospective podcast is for review and discussion and all clips music and audio cues are used as such is that so
2: Megan off. All right, speaking of great lies, Matt's back on the line. Um, Women, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Women, right, Matt? <laughs> well, all
1: I heard as I sat down was cat, and I'm like, yep, pussy ruins everything. <laughs>
3: I got Game of Thrones in the background. Yes, it does.
1: If you told me this movie was written in 1999, I honestly would have believed you, because it's a cross between Furbies and Pokemon.
2: I can't help it. Every time I hear Furby now, all I think of is when Adam mentioned that Nuclear Man turns off like a Furby. (laughs) (laughs) That's all I (laughs) think of now.
3: But I didn't think that I would see, for like the third time in the last five years, a movie opening with a car crash killing the parents. Yeah, You know, I saw this in the first Shazam. I saw this in, was it Dark Phoenix? It was something else, yep. too. And I'm, and I'm like, oh, my God, I am tired of seeing fucking <laughs> car crash, the orphanage child.
2: Good call with that Dark Phoenix. I'd forgotten about that.
1: Yeah, so is the rest of the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, th- this was not.
3: You know the difference between the score to Jaws and this actress? The score to Jaws at least can play two notes. This actress has one, and it's
2: annoying.
3: She's a girl. I hope she does better. It's just I don't like what they have her do in this. I feel like I'm watching Samara from The Ring for 90 minutes. There's just not enough.
2: (laughs) How long have you been holding on to that Jaws line?
3: (laughs) I got one for each of you there. (laughs) Happy day. Thanks, everybody. I'm out.
2: How about this movie's hip soundtrack, huh?
1: <laughs> Is this hip? I, I mean, I don't listen to a whole lot of modern music. Uh, Honestly, I don't
2: it. either, so I couldn't tell you. I think somebody here has a daughter, so maybe he could let us in. Okay. Uh, we're, we're,
1: With all the sassy back talk and expressions that Megan gives, they should have called this movie
3: Karen. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, that one broke me. Um. Stop, stop, stop.